Welcome to Extraordinary, coming to you from the Robertson Center at Success Academy in New York City. Today, our hearts are with the entire community of students, families, teachers, and staff who are navigating the coronavirus and this isolation. We are so grateful for the resilience, brilliance, and warmth you've all shared with us during this time. We hope you're able to take a moment during your social distancing to enjoy this episode, in which Rebecca O'Neill, Executive Director of the Robertson Center, sits down with Mario Shaw, who's the co-founder and chief impact officer at Profound Gentlemen, as well as educator and educational leader Sharif El Meki. Together, they discuss the importance and the process of creating spaces for Black educators to thrive and how they are curating a student-centered approach to schooling. We are going to get right into it, um, but it is so great to have you. Welcome, Sharif Elmeki. Thank you for coming by. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Mario Shaw, so glad to have you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we have got lots to do, so I want to get quickly into the work that you all are doing these days. But we'll start where we always do with these conversations, which is to sort of think back to that one teacher, right? Someone that you encountered in your life who had a profoundly meaningful impact on where you wound up today. So Mario, you want to start us off? Yeah, I can. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Um, this is great. I've known Sharif uh, for, yes, for, for a, a minute, minute yeah. but never met in person yet. So this is oh, kind of no cool. Yeah, it was good. So <laughs> yeah, got up, like, like, I crossed. know you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been in the similar spaces and same yeah. spaces and stuff, but it's always, you know, matter of fact, last time I think I was in North Carolina for a hot second. Yeah. And I was trying to uh, get with Because Jason to, was trying yeah, to, yeah. yeah so it's like, oh, yeah, no, but it was, yeah, it didn't it's work always. out. So oh. no, it's always. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to meet you in person yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm 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 really interested in hearing your responses too because I I get like I become a fan of podcasts uh, of of definitely when there's someone else on a podcast so I'm like, oh man I forget that I'm like a guest as well um, but I think my favorite teacher I was thinking about eighth grade um, just about two weeks ago we're trying to this is our fifth year of profound gentlemen and so we're trying to do like this museum of like things and so I keep a lot of stuff and I have pulled out um, a photo album. I, people probably don't even have like physical photo albums oh, like now, no. <laughs> but I pulled out a photo album um, of my eighth grade um, senior trip. Well, I guess eighth grade trip. We weren't seniors, but my eighth grade trip. And um, it was the first time I've like went out of town with, like without my parents and it was Miss Peterlin. Um, she was like this white young lady who just like believed in us and it was just like super super dope of how like she really wanted to push the narrative forward uh, for like students in Cleveland I grew up in Cleveland Ohio so she wanted to push that that narrative forward around like you know who we really are um that the school had never done a eighth grade trip before and she was determined to to do it and so um I just remember that experience of like what it was like to be on Howard University's campus. We were in the middle of a of of watching um, Phi Beta Sigma. They they were crossing at the time, mm -hmm. so that was the first mm -hmm. time I ever had seen like a probate, all those type of things, and it just opened up my eyes to realize like this is something I want to do. I want to travel, which I'm getting off the <laughs> off the plane now. I came directly here, so <laughs> that that um, had came true. Um, but yeah, like I that was the first time I ever received an A. In math, and she was very, uh, she was a very hard, like math teacher. But like people wanted to work hard for her, um, and so I remember that. And then it carried on, you know, to high school and being able to graduate from 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 college um, sure. after that. So yeah, so my I think my biggest memorable experience K through twelfth would be Miss Peterlin. Yeah, love yeah. It. How about you, Sharif? Yeah, mine was uh was Baba Changa. You know, Baba Changa was our I went to a freedom school as an elementary school student. Love freedom school, yeah. So <laughs> yes. that was so. Imagine that, like full time, right? Like mm -hmm. it was like year round, pretty much. Cause we had a summer camp as well. Mm. So you know, pretty much felt like a year round school. And tried to pull year round off as a principal. We were like, Nah, we ain't doing that. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I just had these really fond memories. But Baba Chang was. We didn't have gym. We had martial arts as mm. our physical education. So he was our martial arts teacher. He was our uh, history teacher, 
and he was our political side teacher. Um, one year he was our art teacher, you know, so he just played multiple roles in this uh, pre-K to sixth grade school. Mm-hmm. So had him, you know, every year that I was there. And just his, uh, you know, same, similar to you, like the belief that he had in us, the love that he had for the community. Um, mm-hmm. He looked at education and teaching as a revolutionary act. And you could just tell, you know, like everything that he spoke to us about, talked to us about. He used to tell me, like, hey, I would, you know, you should open up a martial arts school, you know, so <laughs> teach martial arts. So, Baba yeah. Chang, I'm not doing that, but, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, he's, uh, you know, he passed uh, a few years ago, back in wow. um, around 2013. And, you know, but I was just grateful because he would come to my school mm-hmm. and interact with my students. And, you know, so when I was teaching eighth grade, I had, you know, we, we would... Uh, Things Fall Apart was one of the books that we would use. Mm-hmm. And he would come and give us additional history, make peanut stew for the students in the home <laughs> ec room. Like, so he, he, he's just a lifelong, um, just lifelong impact. And I, I just cherish um, the blessing that I had to have him as a, as a teacher. Yeah. So eventually, you know, both of you would go on to follow in these footsteps and to, some, to some extent. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear how you first got into education and where how that eventually led you to what you're doing now. So Mari, you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati. And so while I was there, um, I at first actually I majored, my freshman year I majored in middle childhood education, mm-hmm. but I was the only black person in my cohort group, mm-hmm. and I just didn't feel connected. Um, I, I remember talking to one of the professors like that I wanted to do urban education, and she responded like, "Why would you do that? Like we mm-hmm. are like pushing you guys to do uh, like char- you know uh, not charter because charter still in urban, uh, but like private school." Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, a lot of my um, peers that were in the program, they chose to, you know, do their, uh, you know, experience in, in um, private schools. Um, so I eventually left and went into communication where at the University of Cincinnati there were tons of black people <laughs> in the communication <laughs> program. And I minored in, um, in Africana Studies. And I took a class called Black Male Development by, with uh, Dr. Abercrombie. So I took, it was three parts. And at the time, um, at the University of Cincinnati, we were... Uh, in quarters, so I took it all year, um, the class, and it was just so great because I learned so much about my own self and then how to also make sure that boys of color are being supported, Um, and it was just really cool to understand even further, like, how can I move that, again, at narrative forward, and that's what I chose to do, so it was a time where, I mean, one of the classes where it was a, a, Dr. Abercrombie brought in a Boy Scout program, and it was an all-black male Boy Scout program. And one of the things they talked about was how they didn't have a black male teacher. Mm. Mm. And it hit me. I was like, yo, like that's something that maybe I should do. Mm. So I ended up um, looking at te- looking at the Teach for America, ended up uh, joining Teach for America 2012, going into Charlotte, <laughs> mm. where I didn't I didn't know anyone. From like who lived well, I keep on lying about that. I knew one person, Archie Moss, and he keep on calling me out about that. Yeah, he's like, you said that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, Stop erasing Archie. Yeah, yeah. he keeps on saying that. He really keeps on telling me, like, yo, you did know me. Um, so I knew one person, uh, but uh, yeah, that that lived in Charlotte, but I didn't have any family there, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and but Charlotte was top uh, five cities to visit uh, or to actually live in um, for uh, Black millennials. It was huh. like one of the mm. top five um, um, cities according to um, Sambita Magazine. The uh, oh my God, the Black it's like a Black like business magazine. Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Like how did I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I ended up doing that. But like yeah, I, I think like the reason why joint education was to really think about that narrative for young black boys and like what does that look like for like what is it looking for us to really be the the narrator of our own stories um and i really got that in dr abercrombie's class like he's still today one of my like mentors he actually visit the uh um our um 
our office in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that was really, really cool when he came to visit. He brought like 50 other students with him. They were like on like a spring break tour. So that was really dope for him to see like just that from that one class, how like it moved me to like do the work that I'm, I'm doing today. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit what that work looks like. As you know, yeah. you started out in the classroom, and then you went on to found this organization. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so it was my second year um, teaching, and Jonathan Farrell had got shot um, and killed by a police officer. My students knew about Trayvon Martin. They knew about you know everyone else, but for it to happen mm-hmm. in their own backyard, it really, really started startled them. I taught seventh grade English language arts, um, and so I started a program called The Brotherhood, which helped to, for young boys to talk about what does it mean to be a black male growing up in today's society. Mm-hmm. And that was really dope. So every Wednesday we'd meet after school and just we use uh, Hill Harper's book, Letters to a Young Brother, mm-hmm. to talk about like why it was so important for us to, again, I keep on going back to that narrative, though, but why it was so important for us to like really think about who we want to be and how we want to show up in America. Um, and so it was during one of the chapters in um, Letters to a Young Brother where he talked about five minutes households that the students and I began to start having conversations about like what does it mean to have male teachers of color in the classroom, black mm-hmm. male teachers specifically. And they told me that I was their first black male teacher all the way in seventh, like all the way up to seventh grade. Mm-hmm. They yeah. never had a black male teacher before. None of them. And it's about 12, 12 boys. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty a good size of boys to never have had not one black male teacher. Um, so then we began to start a campaign to talk about uh, why black male teachers are important. I began to start finding out that there was only 2% of black male teachers nationally. And so my business partner, Jason, he was doing the same thing and having those same type of conversations with his baseball team. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so we ultimately eventually ended up starting a profound gentleman. Um, because we were having all these different speaking engagements, and at the same time, James Ford, North Carolina mm-hmm. Teacher of the Year, that was the same year he became yeah. North Carolina Teacher. So all, all the stars mm-hmm. aligned for us where that conversation was really big in North Carolina. So I was sitting on a panel with him or just at an event with him, or he was meeting with the same people that I, were, that I was having a conversation with, and so that's how it began. Um, and so today we focus on retention. Because we recognize that males of color are five times more likely to leave the classroom. And we knew that there were other organizations that were focusing on recruitment. They were doing a great job. But if they were doing, you know, we didn't want it to be that while they were doing such a good job, for it to, like, fall by the wayside because there's nobody focused on retention. We wanted to be a part of, like, helping, um, like, the movement move forward. And so that, that that's why we focus on retention now. So we have over 400 males of color nationally um, where we are just strictly focusing on that retention and how they can expand their impact in the communities that they're serving. But yeah, five years now. <laughs> <laughs> Going strong. Yeah. And Sharif, how about you? How did you first wind up in a school and then how did it lead you to the work that you're doing now? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say it's so dope. I was at actually U.S. Department of Ed as a principal fellow as as they were like expanding. I think everything centers around James Ford. And, and <laughs> yeah. Because anyway, he won, you know, while he was there. That's where I met him. I was oh, at the wow. White House when he won. And I was just like, yo, we got to talk, you know. So yeah. That's how I ended up uh, oh just uh, connected with him. So, yeah, such a... Small uh, you know, world. beautiful thing. Yeah, small <laughs> world. Um, at least, especially when people are, you know, aligned in their mm-hmm. in their convictions and their work. Um, uh, very similar story. You know, I I was um, I did not think about education as a as a college student. I didn't think about it at all. It wasn't it just was not on my list. Um, despite the fact that I have so many educators in my family, um, but. They're all women, not but, mm-hmm. and they're all women. And so I, I just, you know, I even asked my mom, who was a t- retired teacher, just like, you never talked to me about teachers. She's like, I didn't think you'd be interested, you know. So, you know, and I was like, oh. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is just start talking to youth about, mm-hmm. and we're going we're gonna to support our youth in whatever it is that they want to do, but just at least having them consider this idea of leading a classroom and the impact that it can have. Mm-hmm. But I... You know, I thought I knew I wanted to deal with uh, racial and social justice. And after graduating um, 
from college, ended up meeting this um, this man, Dr. Martin Ryder, a black man who worked for the school district of Philadelphia at the time. And they were, he had a, a partnership. He was part of a, this collaboration between uh, Concerned Black Men, Cheney University, the first HBCU, and the school district of Philadelphia. And so they had this collaborative effort to recruit black men. And they just put it out there. And a, a friend, matter of fact, a parent of the elementary school I was talking about, she calls me and says, hey, I want you to go to this meeting. They have, I was like, Mama, Mama <laughs> Cynthia, I don't want to be a teacher. You know, <laughs> she's like, well, I want you to go anyway. You know, she's one of our mamas. She's an elder. So they're like, all right, I'll go. You know, and so yeah. I went. And Dr. Martin Ryder was, was really making this compelling argument about the connection between racial justice and educational justice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's it, you know. Um, and I still thought, like, all right, well, I won't do it forever. I still need to get into that courtroom and do work, um, you know, through there. Um, but once I, you know, got to the to the school, it was it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. I just I learned so much. I had so much fun. It was it was like so challenging. At the same time, I just felt you know just invigorated. You know, yeah. thinking about the youth, and I had I had eighth graders. Um, and Middle they were, school. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, and so I was there Brave for 10 people. years. I thought yeah. I was going to, like, stay there forever. Yeah. Um, and eventually a school not too far from there was needed a principal. And so I, I went and did that. And then uh, last 11 years, up until last year, was the principal at a school in my neighborhood, a turnaround school, um, Master Charter School, Shoemaker Campus. And so, you know, I, I just enjoyed it. You know, so I just wrapped up 26 years working in schools. And it was I just I consider it just to be an honor to be able to serve other people's children and just understanding, you know, just the influence of a teacher, um, an effective teacher, and like what that means in our community and what what mm -hmm. it's always meant in our communities, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, so I just looked at it as a tremendous honor. I looked at it as Baba Chang used to say, "is it's revolutionary to you know a work to do this," and then just seeing like all of the uh, impact of that teachers and um, can have not only on the children themselves, but just is their multipliers. You know, mm -hmm. teachers are, are the ultimate multipliers. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine that explains, it sounds like you didn't leave a school willingly. So no, you're, they, no. <laughs> tell us about what you're working not, no, on now. I, you know, it I, must I, be I still, important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I miss my school tremendously. You know, I'm, um, Got a chance to see some of my former students uh, Wednesday, and so it was, you know, so so great seeing them. But yeah, so I in 2014, um, you know, like Mario talked about, you know, you had this collaboration, this group, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it started out. I was I was at the Department of Ed as a principal ambassador fellow. That's where I first heard about the two percent mm -hmm. number. You know, yeah. one point nine percent of the. Yeah. I was like, really? I knew it was. A small Low. number, but two percent. Oh, one point nine. Yeah, one point nine. Like yeah. that's crazy, yeah. right? And so you know they what they were, and I, it was just a special time while I was there too. Like Arnie Duncan was there, mm -hmm. uh, John King was there, mm -hmm. Kalila Harris was there, David Johns was there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it was just so so. I don't want to Jim Shelton. It was so many folks. Mm -hmm. I don't want to miss out names, but it was just a ton of folks. But you know, and Jillian, our boss, one of the things she said was. While you're here, you're learning all of this. Part of our work was to learn a lot um, and do in-reach and outreach, you know, like kind of inform uh, Secretary Duncan's and his cabinet about, mm -hmm. you know, the experience of principals. Um, also be able to just understand how the Department of Ed worked. But then also, like, you know, she really, uh, Jillian encouraged us. She not encouraged. She told us we were, we had to. She um, voluntold basically, you know, to you know, like what do you want to focus on as part of you know your your fellowship? Yeah. And so it turned out, you know, being you know, as I was thinking about this like this diversity issue, at the same time there were brothers at home who were started reaching out like, hey, thinking about quitting or I'm thinking about need support. Can we grab yeah. coffee? And so, you know, at some point it was doing all these individual meetings. I was just like, you know, can y'all meet together? Because what I'm like, we can't do all these, you know, mm. you know, twenty different uh, conversa individual conversations, and a lot of the themes were similar. And so, the brothers agreed to uh, do it, and it, was, it started out about uh, 10, 11. Then I started calling a couple of friends, you know, who was just like, hey, you should need your help, you know. And so different folks were uh, started coming in, and and you know, part of 
our group were folks like, you know, Vincent Cobb and, you mm-hmm. know, Dr. Hayes and, you know, mm-hmm. Robert Parker. And he's just like, you know, amazing brothers on their in their own right. But then collectively, we just started, uh, you know, really for a year, we just were coming together, sharing a problem, sharing a win, because we didn't want to just complain, but like, hey, here's something that's going well for me in my mm-hmm. classroom, in my school. What can we learn about it? And then at some point, the brothers were like, hey, I have a friend. I have a friend that should. Uh, fr-. You know, at first I was like, yo, this is enough of us. 17 of us. We good. Like, let's just, you know, because yeah. um, I, I couldn't, you know, at that time, think about like, oh. 50 people or just like let's yeah. focus on what we need to do right now but eventually we said yeah so october 1 2015 we held our first uh bmec well, black male educators convening mm-hmm. to really uh, look at issues and and surface questions and and issues that brothers weren't any teachers aren't normally seeing in their regular professional development mm-hmm. what does it mean to be you know perceived as this angry black man when you're really advocating for your children right like mm-hmm. they're like where do we go for these specific nuanced questions and answers and conversations and so we're like hey let's create that kind of space um, yeah. in order to do that and then um yeah so did that and and now and then uh vincent was uh leading it um, for the past several years, and then we started the Center for Black Educator Development to kind of uh, mm-hmm. expand the window and really look at policy, professional learning, pedagogy. You know, like where like, there's a long history of black teachers, you know, mm-hmm. being effective with black students, <laughs> and it gets lost a lot of times. Like black history is lost often. Well, I shouldn't say lost. It's like you know, because it's right there, but you yeah. know, it's not, you know, it's not always often overlooked. centered. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's often overlooked and it's not centered. So you're just like, there's a history of black, you know, teachers in, in America who are extremely mm-hmm. effective, who are advocating, who are leading. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to surface that. So we have policy, professional learning, pedagogy in the black community, and then pipeline, right? Like the whole idea of recruitment, but using the Freedom School model to do it because that activism, the same uh, message Dr. Ryder was giving me, 27 years ago, this, you know, racial justice, social justice, educational justice is all linked. Yeah. You can't separate them. Yes, yeah. I'm curious, as, you know, you both have been tackling this very real problem from sort of different angles. And I'm curious, as you have started to do that, are there things that have been surprising, like things that you thought were going to matter a lot that it turns out matter not that much, or vice versa? Like, I never imagined we'd have to think about X and it now takes up a lot of my my headspace. Yeah, <laughs> you know I when I first so we first started Profound Gentlemen um, through a group me um, app. It was just fifty. <laughs> it, we saw that Jason and I literally were uh, chilling in a pool. <laughs> it was like let's just go and start the app, um, and so we started it. And uh, we had fifty guys, and then it continued to grow to it grew to about. Uh, 200 by the end of that month, um, around 200 by the end of that month. And we were recognizing, okay, how are we going to like cultivate this group though? Like we, yeah, we're together, but what are we going to do for them? Right. And so we started to focus on, um, workshops. So we call them tailored, we started uh, calling them tailored development workshops, you know, profound gentlemen trying to create like a little theme. Um, <laughs> and so tailored development workshops, which obviously we did. We wanted them to be tailored towards mm-hmm. male teachers of color. Yeah. Um, and that went well. Our guys were attending workshops and they were developing and we we're just going to focus on like the pedagogy. We we're just going to focus on that content. But then we recognized that our guys started to reach out to us about personal matters that they were dealing with in their household and they on sales and inside of the as well as inside of the school, so we had to really flip our work around to say, okay, like the leading part and what we started to recognize was that if we don't take care of self, if we don't help our guys to take care of themselves first, then they'll never get to the content. Most of the times with our first year educators, it was very surprising is that when they don't have strong classroom management or when they don't have, you know, they're not strong in their lesson planning, it's because of something's happening, you know, internally. We recognize that we're asking male teachers of color to return back to a place that institutionally was not fair to them, right? And what type of trauma does that bring? And so with all of that, 
we end up recognizing as an organization that we have to focus on mental health. So I think like that, when beginning teachers come into our work, that's about like 60% of what we focus on um, with them. We're, we're having those strong conversations. We have therapists on board that we have that are on call for our guys, life coaches, 100% of our staff are mental health certified. So we recognize that actually this is the leading piece in order for us to really push our guys to be the best educators. And, and usually that's the missing that's the missing block. So when we're asking, when we're talking to teach, uh, to principals who are um, majority like white women principals, and they say we want black males to show up in a in a building on our end, serving as an advocate for male teachers of color. We we respond and say at what risk, right? Because they have we they want them to be vulnerable, you know. They want them to show up and be authentic. But if you want them to be authentic and be vulnerable, are you also creating a space for them to be able to do that? And so we began to start. We began to start having conversations with principals, um, and and that's on Jason's team. They're doing a good job with that because <laughs> I cannot do <laughs> school leaders as well as like you know um, our gentlemen as well. We got over four hundred, <laughs> and so we're starting to have conversations with with principals on what does that look like and and what criteria are our guys thinking about when they join a school. And how are we helping our guys to see that up front of, like, this is what I want when I'm joining a school for me to be my best self. And how we're helping principals to recognize that. That, it that like, share and show, you know, what's unique about your school. All schools are not the same. Like, when you go to a job, like, the difference between, or, or Silicon Valley, like, yeah, you might be doing the same role, but it's a difference between Apple, Google, Facebook, right? Like, sure. so we're pushing schools to be able to do that. Um, but the first part is helping our our guys to focus on who they are and helping them to show up. Um, and yeah, that that's our deep work, and I love it. I absolutely, that's <laughs> like I was like, okay, this is perfect. Like we're using Dr. Renee Brown's work, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, Bill Hook stuff. Um, just really dope information um, that we're learning as a staff on how we could show up for our gentlemen and provide them that mental health support. But you, Sharif, anything that's been surprising about the work? You know what? I, I think one of the things, and this, and I agree with everything that Mario said. You know, this uh, this idea of intellectuals doing emotional work mm-hmm. while dealing with you know the trauma of being black in America. And, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times people think growing up black in America is different than being black in a school. It's yeah. the same. You know, the same issues you're dealing with as a black man in America. It's pervasive, right? White supremacy is pervasive. This, you know, racism is pervasive. And so, it, you know, sometimes people think that magically all that kind of stuff disappears mm-hmm. once you cross into yeah. a school. <laughs> right. You know, and you're not deliberately, you know, confronting these issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a lot of times what I what I saw, what surpri- it didn't really surprise me, but what I, what I just keep just being bewildered by is that people want to ignore mm-hmm. some of the work, a lot of the mm-hmm. work that, you know, that has to happen if you're going to be a, a great place for teaching and learning. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the, some of the you know, as I travel the country and even, you know, in Philadelphia as well, like you hear some of these things that are occurring and you're like, that's not even a microaggression. That is macro at, <laughs> yeah. the, at the highest level. Okay, it's right? the highest it's a, you know, yeah. yeah. And you're just like, how, like, you know, because unfortunately there are, there are, uh, there are people who believe that, well, if I show up to teach black children, that means I have no biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's in the same line, like, I don't mm. see color. Mm-hmm. I just see children. Mm-hmm. I, I, There's no way I can have a, a racist bone in my body. I showed up to teach here. Mm-hmm. Right? And so if you have that kind of view, if you're lacking, like, just this understanding and, you know, cultural humility, then you're going to find yourself op- being oppressive. Mm-hmm. In different ways, and not, not just, you know, I often say that, you know, white educators, you know, Pennsylvania is 96% of the teachers are white. Mm-hmm. 96%. That mirrors Minnesota, right? You know, with, yeah. And so a lot of times people think of it as just the person leading the classroom. Yes, that's a big thing, mm-hmm. but it also that means 96% influence over curricula. Mm-hmm. The mm. entire ecosystem, right? We're talking about policy, we're talking about disciplinary. Um, procedures 
We're talking about pedagogy. We're talking about all of this stuff is influenced by the 96% instead of it being influenced by the student body, student population, and the student experience. Mm -hmm. And exactly, you know, Chris Emden says, you know, for a lot of black uh, people returning to be a teacher, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they're saying, why should I return to the scene of a crime, you know, yeah. against yes. myself? Yes. Right. And so if, yeah. if that's not dealt with, then you have educators who are, who experience trauma, it was never dealt with, mm-hmm. and they're working with students who've also been traumatized. And then you have children triggering children, tri- adults triggering children, adults triggering adults, you know, you have this. Children triggering yeah, adults. Right. Like, so you have just all of this, yeah. and it's not, people are just ignoring it, just, or just, placing blame on, on students or things like that. And I think yeah. in addition to that, you know, what Dr. John King calls this invisible tax on top of that, being, yeah. you know, being a person of color and whether it's, you know, your Latinx and you're like, hey, you know what, like this this one uh, teacher said, like, they called her room and told her to stop teaching and come down to the office to translate, <laughs> right? Like, and so, you know, like that, or just like, wait a minute. So instead of investing Learning yourself, you know, you're in this Latinx community where you're like, I don't need to know a thing about, you know, your right. language or your culture, right? right? And that gets played out over mm-hmm. and over and over again in in black communities as well. Like, I don't need to know you, just fit in this box that uh, that yeah, um, okay. here, right? And so when you're talking about like procedures, policies, you're a black person, you're seeing students that look like you, that remind you of yourself or your own children, and you're like, that policy is oppressive. Mm-hmm. Right, like I like why like we need to f- change that, and people are telling you to stay in your lane, right? Mm-hmm. You're like my lane. They they are my lane. They're <laughs> yeah. in my lane. <laughs> Those are my people. Yeah, yeah. You are that is that is an injustice, right? I signed up to be involved in a in education. This is miseducation, right? Yeah. And so I, that's what I see, and just you know, people's reluctance to you know. Um, you know, talk about race, class, and privilege, to talk about, you know, white supremacy and how it shows up mm-hmm. um, in schools and in classrooms is, you know, it's uh, it's alarming, you know, but I think that's why our work, uh, you know, is, is so important. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think this really gets at, you know, the, the Robertson Center is sort of premised on this idea that our conversations matter, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and more specifically, this idea that the national conversation about education is kind of not doing what it needs to do, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of somehow managed to both ignore the practical realities of what it means to be in a school every day and fail to be inspirational and aspirational and sort of imagine what is possible, mm-hmm. right? And so my question, and I think you were getting at this a little bit, Sharif, is if we were going to try to forge a new conversation or if you could change one thing about the current conversation, whether it's the tone, who's a part of it, the topics on the agenda, what change would you want to see in the way that we're talking about education in America? You know, I, one thing, I would, I would center the students. I, I think too mm-hmm. often, you know, conversation after conversation, we're, we're hearing, you know, adults, we're hearing adults' grievances, we're hearing what would make adults happy. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I don't hear the larger conversation about, like, you know, how are the children, mm-hmm. right? That that uh, Kenya phrase, you know, a friend, Chris Stewart, you know, uses that now religiously, you know, just every city we go to with, you know, with our podcast, Eight Black Hands, we open up with how are the children, mm-hmm. right? That's a, a Maasai greeting in in Kenya where they ask, they, they're how are you doing? Or hi, good to see you. They, they don't greet that way. They greet how are the children. Mm-hmm. And the response would be the children are well. Mm-hmm. That's not the answer we would be able to give in most districts and schools in America. Mm. And so when we hear, have when anytime people are talking about, you know, education and then fix this and fix that, you know, we should respond to how are the children? Mm-hmm. Will that directly and explicitly change the trajectory and the experiences of black, brown, native students in this country? Mm-hmm. Often that is not part of the conversation conversation is, well, if the adults feel this, then then it will automatically trick. That's the same. I grew up in the, the Ronald Reagan era of uh, trickle-down economics. And mm-hmm. I think they also believe that there's a trickle-down justice. Like, I think mm-hmm. you have to be just towards the adults, but that doesn't automatically mean that it's going to amount to educational justice for black and brown children, mm-hmm. right? Because if I'm not confronting the race, race, class, and privilege as part of the ecosystem, 
then it's not going to trickle down, and it shouldn't trickle down to students. Students should be centered um, in yeah. these conversations, and I, I, I'm, I don't see that, um, you know, nearly enough. You know, a lot of times we'll have these institutions we know are founded, seeped in racism, and then mm-hmm. we want to add equity and justice as window dressings, mm-hmm. right? Instead of reimagining what would this look like if it was actually built for black and brown children? Yeah. What would that actually look like? Yeah. I don't hear those conversations yeah. at all. I would have to agree. Centering students is, is so important. Yeah, I think, and, and part of the conversation that I'm thinking about too is like when we're talking about teacher diversity, um, because of what? Like, just to increase the numbers? Mm-hmm. So what I don't want to happen is that, like, black teachers are placed on, like, a factory wheel. You know what I mean? And we're just continuing to produce black teachers because everybody wants black teachers. Give me one of those. Yeah, yeah, like, give me one of those. <laughs> Can you remake the models? I want people to recognize that, like, all of our guys are different, you know, in the, in our program, for sure. Um, and recognizing that difference and celebrating it. In addition to that, like, yeah, like when we're talking about diversity, not like, in a sense, like not (laughs) making it so um, structured, you know, like and and seeing that teacher for who they are in addition to being um, a teacher of color, but not just like, oh, here go a teacher of color. Let's just go. You know what I mean? Um, And let me mold them or put them into the box, like you said, um, that I want them to be in and fit this, 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 you know, um, system that I believe that should, should work and should be true. I agree with, yeah, I think that's, that's the part. And, and when we're looking at students, like we do need to, I, I believe in like creating more unique experiences for kids, like different types of schools. Like, yeah. you know, all schools don't work for, for every child, you know, so we have mm-hmm. to start creating different ones and being okay to just that this school doesn't have this, but this school has this. Like, you know, people are always asking me, like, how do I feel about this school and this and these practices? I'm like, I mean, like, if it works for like the kids, you know, like and and, and, and adults, it's not gonna, no school is gonna work for every kid, you know. And so that's my thought. Now, if, if obviously it towards the end of like, you know, the the school. In a in a, for in a large part, like just is not really doing well for kids, and obviously that's problematic. But you know, when there's certain schools that's like doing things, and it might work for a kid, it may not work for another kid. And how do we, you know, help parents to even see that as well? Like schools are not all the same; they're all different. I was just listening to um a youtube <laughs> i'm always watching youtube and i felt like this youtube couple and they were talking about like how all three of their boys are different yeah and it was interesting because one of the boys the middle child he's they tried to give him like traditional school and it's like yo this is not gonna work so then they put him in a monastery school and like it worked for him right and so it's like you have to know you know but how are we providing a variety are we like letting parents know like that Schools are different. Are we letting, you know, um, teachers be able to see that? So I think, like, that's the narrative that I also want to see. But the first one definitely is, you know, <laughs> how are the children? I really, really, I, I've been hearing that a lot lately. And it, it just grounds me in my work and, you know, puts a pause on, like, you know, what we're really thinking about and what really, mat- and what really matters, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, and I often, you know, I'm often chasing the experience in this different context now. You know, I grew up in the, in the 70s, and, you know, my school was started by activists and, and yeah. you know, what people would say are, you know, in black radical tradition and things like that. But, you know, the thing that, in retrospect, as I look back to the teachers that I had was they felt accountable for our mm-hmm. achievement, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that would be another piece that I would bring. You know, like there's so many people like, oh, yeah, I want to teach, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of people grow up thinking about teaching with their stuffed animals yeah. in the bed. And like, <laughs> that oh, was yeah, me. now do this and now do that. And, and, and I got you to do. And, you know, yeah. like, you know, some of them are still stuck in that space. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, I, I've even had a teacher tell me once, like, well, the things that happen, I'm not responsible for any of that. And I was just like, well, if you don't feel that your destinies are, you know, intertwined with yeah. your with your students, like forever, yeah. then 
then it uh you know that's that's a problem right like yeah. and so like how are you how are you you know approaching this work without that kind of worldview mm-hmm. that yes we're a collective but I'm also I'm responsible for my community right mm-hmm. like that was one of the things we were learning as first second third graders right mm-hmm. like we are responsible for our community right and mm-hmm. so how do you become an adult and then you know and a teacher and a principal and a school board member and a, a superintendent and not feel that yeah. right and so I, I think that's another piece like we have to feel that we are accountable and and behave that we are accountable. I used to tell my teachers that, you know, every lesson plan is a political document. Mm-hmm. Every time mm. you teach is a political act. Mm. You are you are communicating what you believe mm. about these That's students. True. You are communicating yeah. what you believe about this community, yeah. their potential, their aspirations, their their liberation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're not approaching it in that way, then I don't want my own child in your class, yeah. <laughs> you know, let alone yeah. other people who we're making these promises to. And, like, so yeah. when are we just going to deliver on the promises? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, it actually has two parts. One is where can people find you if they want to find more information about you or the organizations you work with? Second piece is books are kind of like our love language. So mm. can you tell us what you're reading? We'd love to follow along and, and sort of learn what yeah. you're learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so you can find me, um, on, for, for Instagram, yeah, Mario Jovan, um, my whole first name, M-A-R-I-O, um, J-O-V-A-N, and Profound Gentleman, P-R-O-F-O-U-N-D-G-E-N-T-L-E-M-E-N, um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, too, for, for, for Profound Gentleman, and then ProfoundGentleman.org for our website, and... Um, same of it, and then the book that I am reading. I I like fiction. I love fiction. That's loud. Um, yeah, and so like I I I I did um not a little bit of nonfiction. Um, kind of like I guess like a. I actually, I haven't picked up a nonfiction book in like over a year now. Um, so I'm, I'm currently reading Children of Blood and Bone, mm. and it's so hard to say the author's name, and I wish I could do better at that. I, I need Tana to do Nancy better. Coates, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, um, no, 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 the no, other one. no, 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 you're, you're talking about the sister, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I was sorry, <laughs> yeah, I, I got both of them sitting. My, I bought those for my kids. You're, t- um, what's this name? I she can't was just in Philly, <laughs> she's so dope, though. She is, yes. Yeah, she's a beautiful artist, and yes. person. and, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for, um. For Dear Justice to come out, because um, that's the sequel to Dear Martin. So that's what I'm interested in right now. Um, but yeah, all of them, all of those ladies are like all together. Yeah, yeah. Angie Stone, uh, I mean Angie Thomas, Nick Stone. <laughs> um, yeah, all of them are yeah, like. I haven't, I haven't read those. You know, my my kid, my children have them. Yeah, and uh, the Hate You Give. Yeah, all. Oh, those. Oh, yeah. I read. So I read good. the Hate okay. You Give because our our students were reading it. So you know, yeah. I would always choose a book that yeah. I would read with the students. You yeah. Know, that, uh, so we had this eighth grade teacher, black man, Gerald Dustis, who taught eighth grade social stu- social justice. Yeah. Um, and so that was like the prelude before black history, Africana studies in ninth grade. But the literature teacher would read The Hate You Give yeah. while he's teaching a social justice course. And that was only about youth activism. That was it. Yeah. Like, yeah. In America and, and South Africa. So, of course, that blended. So that I was his... It history and literature teacher combination but yeah. yeah but the other ones that you mentioned like I'm like oh yeah I saw that that's yeah, in my yeah, house yeah, like, yeah. sorry but you're reading it I'll, I'll definitely yeah, read yeah. it I, like you know, I looked at it like oh that's one of my kids books but I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, no, a, no. <laughs> I'm reading kids books no no no, no. no, no I mean, but I've heard it was good no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but now that you're reading it yeah. I'm like oh alright now I'll read it you know? okay the yeah. funny thing is though like I'm, I always read a lot of kids books yeah, like I read a lot of books so when you said it like it really didn't hit home like I Actually, no, does good. Um, that's because good. I I believe Look, that a lot I, yeah. a lot of fiction help us to create a narrative of how we want to see our future. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. so like when people are writing books, it's like it's really cool because you get to like paint like what this world could be or shine a light on something that you just didn't know. Nonfiction does the same thing as well by kind of like sometimes the magicalness of like this character isn't real. 
Definitely mm-hmm. when something bad happened, it's like, okay, I could like, <laughs> this, this didn't really, really happen. Didn't really Even happen, though I yes. felt it. Takes yeah. The edge yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I felt it, but it didn't really You're happen. Like, I could, just like, a character. Yeah. I don't have all that anxiety yeah. on me. <laughs> no, that's true. Listen, and I'm not trying to clown you at all. Like, I will. I, know, I will. Yeah, be, yeah. I will no, I mean, I, I read comic books. I took my yes. kids to, you know, there's a black owned comic book store. Yeah. And, and, uh, in Philadelphia, in the Frankfurt section, Amalgam Comics, you know, sister, you know. That's so I think nice. It's a black, black woman who owns it, or a couple, you know, I don't remember who owns it, but black owned. Yeah. I was there with my kids, and they were just like, yo, are you finished yet? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you know, read Because I learned, you know, as a child, yeah, I just have all these fond memories, man. And yes. So, um, yeah, so. That's good. Yeah, the, so I'll start. The book I'm reading, I I want to read more. He's got me wanting to read more uh, fiction. Uh, fiction. <laughs> you know, I'm usually reading like three or four books at the same yeah. time, um, which is not really good because, you know, it takes me longer. But uh, one of the things I'm, I'm finishing is uh, Up North, which is about uh, the civil rights movement in Philadelphia in particular. Wow. Interesting. Where, you know, a lot of times people are like, yeah, down south, this happened. This yeah. And he's showing, like, you know, up north and Philadelphia had a crucial role in a lot of these struggles that we see, um, whether it was, you know, NAACP and their um, fight for, uh, you know, desegregation, the whole the mass movement of human beings, uh, yeah. the great migration of black people coming up north, um, mm. how they were greeted uh, or non-greeted, you know, mm-hmm. um, unwelcomed while they were there, um, you know, uh, the black middle class at that time, what that was identity politics and all of that. And so um, all the way through, you know, uh, black power movements and things like that. Um, so I've been reading that and then also the uh, Lost Educational Horace Tate, um, hmm. you know, about the the role of black teachers um, in the South, in the civil hmm. rights movement. Um, in the, uh, you know, Brown versus Board of Education um, and a lot of other, you know, avenues. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that, those are all. Uh, and nice. I, I picked up a Spider-Man comic <laughs> when I was at, at the comic book store, too. So that's on my well desk to, to get there eventually. And, uh, like yeah, I can be found. You know, I'm, I'm usually, re- you know, I read far more articles now than I, I do know, books, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that's like I'm reading yeah. articles like, all the time, you know, every, you know, so I, I blog uh, on Philly Seventh Ward and on the Education Post, so I do a lot of blogging, so the articles, of course, inform, you know, just what I want to write about, mm-hmm. you know, um, writing a piece now. Uh, I was going to catch the train, and I ended up driving, I was going to the train, I would have written, you know, like in Chicago, there was an elementary school, and the teacher decided, you know, it's Black History Month, so we're going to study black animals, African animals, mm, you know, um, that was her... And then, but it, it wasn't just the bad decision about that. It was the doubling down or the kind of fake apology by the principal. But then other teachers saying, what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, That's the, like it was kindergarten, you know? So why can't they learn about African animals during Black History Month? That's crazy. Right? Like there were educators defending. <sighs> Yeah, that, you know, so that was that's my next blog. So I just, Please. I just <laughs> share that with you. I will, I will. repost, um, repost. <laughs> yeah, so you yes. know, you can find you know um, my writing on Philly's Seventh Ward. As I mentioned, we have our own uh, podcast with uh, three other really dope brothers, uh, Chris Stewart, Ray Ankrum, and and Charles Cole. We're all over the country. So Cole is in Oakland, uh, Stewart is in Minnesota, and Ray's up here in uh, in New York. And of course, I'm in Philly, West Philly, to be exact. You know, so that's that's cool to do the Eight Black Hands podcast, and you can find the Center for Black Educator Development on mm-hmm. all your social media. Twitter is Center Black Ed, and um, the website is the Center Black Ed. So, yeah, so that's, we're around. Yeah, <laughs> we're easy to find. You know, we're easy to find. Yeah. Well, we are very grateful that you spent the time here and just so excited about the work that you're doing. No, thank yes. you. I'm grateful yeah. to be in, this, in the booth with this brother, you know, <laughs> like just reading up, you know, all the work, him and Terrell. And yeah. one of their good friends ended up being my assistant principal, Darian Hedden. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I miss <laughs> Darian at the airport, like, oh, for like a smidgen. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's my yeah. assistant principal. So it was just, you know, as so... I said, like, you know, when folks are just aligned and, yeah. um, and doing 
on the work from you know different angles and and stuff. So yeah. I'm just grateful. Well, you know, he's a living legend. Um, <laughs> everybody be like, he's a legend. You know, I'm like, but he's young. You know what I mean? Like you're young. Yeah, way too young to be. You know, I know. <laughs> and I always be saying that, but like, but you had over twenty something years of experience. So yeah, I mean, I started right from the door. You know, yeah. like right twenty twenty one. And you know, like, millennials boom, as soon as yeah, you go know, like, <laughs> you're a legend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he doubled that and almost that tripling it. So I guess that's tell. That's what I tell Billy. So my my principal, like when I was elementary school, the one you know one of the founding members of the school that I'm talking about, Nathan Musasa. Her name yeah. is Mama Fasaha Trailer, right? So mm-hmm. Mama Fasaha Trailer, we're talking about legend. Like she's about yeah. to publish a book on mm. like 90 um, black women in Philadelphia history, mm-hmm. past and current, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like she's about to publish a book next week, right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's those <laughs> that's, are the legends, legend. right? Yeah. Like yeah. those yeah. are like, I'm, I'm still yeah. learning for every chance I get. I'm like sitting at her feet learning. Yes. You know, her, her husband, Bob and Gen Z, he called me while I was over, where are you at? So, you know, I'm yeah. Like, gonna, yeah. you know, like all of this, you know, and, and, you know, and it's particularly important for me because you know, we have to honor, those are the people that yes, we have we to, to honor, right? Like, yeah. so we lost one, Baba Jehudi, you know, so tomorrow is his uh, memorial. Yeah. And he was my political science and history teacher. You know, mm. yeah, we, we were in fifth grade taking political <laughs> science, right? Yeah. And so, you know, like, so when I think of, when I hear the word legend and, yeah. you know, stalwarts and these folks, like, those are the yeah. people, right? Like, that's, yeah. like, if, if I can do a fraction, yes. have a fraction of yes. the impact, that those folks had, that my parents and and cousins mm. and those generations, and of course before when on my way here, like I, I was in New York because I was at uh, Malcolm X's grave, you know Malcolm mm. X and Betty Shabazz's grave. Today's the the uh, uh, commemoration of his martyrdom, his assassination was February twenty first, right? And mm. so you know I was there. So when I think about you know the work, you know we just have responsibility to stand on their shoulders. We can see further on their yeah. shoulders, and we can. Fight harder from their shoulders, and so yeah. that's how I look at the work that you know yeah. Mario and his team, as well as my on. team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's all of us, right? Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. uh, you know you're, yeah. you're doing great work. Four hundred brothers, like I it's the ripple effect. Like forget the four, not to forget, but like the four hundred. <laughs> that's the small thing. Yeah, how many people do they impact? That's right. That's, that's the right. real number. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, but see, but how many people are really at your feet too and soaking up? You know, my four-year-old, she tripping me. Oh, like, get out of here, girl! Like, There's a lot on. of teachers too. You know, how, like great leaders will always like pivot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Back off. off I think of, this is a losing battle. I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I am honored. Like wow. honestly, and this Appreciate is our first it. time um, being able to meet. But I have been able to see your walk over the years and hearing the great things that you're doing, and it is definitely a privilege to be in the same room. And doing the same podcast with you. This is yeah, dope. No, this is dope. I'm, I'm grateful. Thanks yeah. for bringing well, us together. Thank you. Yes. Such, such an honor. Thank you, guys. Yes. Come back soon. Thanks again for joining us for Extraordinary, coming to you from the Robertson Center at Success Academy in New York City. To keep up with Mario and the work he's doing, visit profoundgentleman.org. And if you want to know more about what Sharif Elmeki is up to, check out thecenterblacked.org, which is the website for the Center for Black Educator Development. If you'd like to learn more about what we're doing at the Robertson Center, check us out at successacademies.org slash Robertson Center. We're on Twitter at RobertsonCTRSA and also on Instagram at Robertson Center. Extraordinary was brought to you today by Samantha Williams and her team at the Robertson Center with production, recording, and editing by Stephen LaRosa and me, Joseph Fridman. Our theme song is by Stephen LaRosa. Special thanks to the Robertson Foundation for their critical support and to all the educators and students out there supporting each other during this difficult moment. Thank you. We hope to see you soon at the Robertson Center, and we hope you'll join us next time for Extraordinary. Extraordinary.